You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to find out more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com where you'll find all of our past podcasts and other blog posts that we have up, along with some other items that you can purchase to help support the Beardcast. So we hope you enjoy listening to this week's show. You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And this week we have a, a wonderful guest with us. We have the Reverend uh, Derek Belace with us. He's the Director of Discipleship in the Oklahoma Conference. Derek, thanks for being with us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I yeah. have to tell you guys that um, about a year and a half ago, I was preaching in a local church, and this particular church does introductions by a layperson of the pastor, the guest pastor. So the person was introducing me and said that he didn't know that much about me, so he decided to search me out on the web. And this was just after I had written a blog post. Uh, for you all uh, around discipleship. So he searched my name, found that blog post, and said, we're so honored to have one of the bearded theologians <laughs> with us today preaching. And so I didn't have the, you know, the heart to correct him to say, no, no, I'm not the bearded theologians. I'm just a bearded theologian. But I thought, well, I'll just let it be. So if somebody searched it out, then they realized he's not really one of the only a bearded theologian. So it's great to be with you uh, on the podcast today. And uh, it's an interesting time. I don't know when the podcast will go up, of course, but, you know, we're just a couple days uh, before the beginning of uh, General Conference in St. Louis. I I think Matt's going there to do some uh, journalistic uh, efforts on our behalf. Uh, That's provided kind of very interesting, I think, work uh, in terms of what I do, which is mostly with existing churches uh, in the Oklahoma Annual Conference. We've got about 480 to 485, they you know, close and uh, open um, and about 380 of those worship less than 100 on Sunday morning. And um, so when you go out to a local church to think about uh, discipleship systems uh, or what, what their discipleship plan is, all those kind of things, you know, they're thinking one thing and big churches are thinking the other. But I also think the same thing can be said about this whole uh, general conference that's coming up. Uh, it, just, it just feels different, you know, all across the, uh, the conference and the different places who's really in tune with what's happening and who isn't. Um, And that's been kind of a helpful metaphor or a helpful uh, lens for me to think even about this work. Um, Because I, as um, Matt will tell you, um, am just pretty driven. I like to see things get done. I like to be at the forefront of things getting done. And uh, when when you work, uh, as I do, um, with existing churches, they already have their things that are going. They don't oftentimes just want to hear from a a conference person coming in to tell them what to do or to, to think about that. Um, and I just wonder if that's the same kind of thing that's happening uh, around the general conference. Like, do we really, do we really want other people, you know, telling us what to do? Um, in Oklahoma, at least, we just have this kind of populist streak that runs through us. We have, you know, the longest state constitution uh, in, in the United States. We elect all kinds of state officers, including the commissioner of labor and the it's the superintendent of public instruction, all these kind of people. And when you go into local churches, I find that same kind of streak uh, is found there. It's like we're kind of independent. We want to make our own decisions. So we're connectional, uh, and yet we want to do our own thing. So when I talk about discipleship systems uh, with local churches, uh, sometimes they can describe what it is that they're doing. Sometimes they have no idea what they're doing. Sometimes they're really not doing anything. And others are doing a whole lot of things. They just can't really describe what they are. Some, if they were just doing one or two things, would really be probably knocking it out of the park, but instead they're still trying to do five or six things that they could do when they were bigger and now they're smaller. Um, so the landscape just feels all 
uh, different across our, at least our state and the work that I do. Uh, and so trying to think about systems or discipleship systems or all those kind of things that I'm kind of tasked with doing um, feels like one piece of what it really takes to do uh, church revitalization. It takes leadership. It takes, uh, we were talking earlier just in pre-conversation, it takes, you know, really fine communication in a local church to, to really, to be transparent. It takes uh, people who are, you know, open to the power and the movement uh, of the Holy Spirit. I think one of the most influential texts for me in the work that I do uh, is, is when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, there's a wide door for effective ministry. There are many adversaries, and yet he doesn't say whether the adversaries are inside whatever he's thinking about or outside. Uh, and so sometimes when I preach in local churches, I say, you know, I think they're both. I think that that was kind of Paul's, um, the reason he didn't say where they were is because he recognized they were both kind of internal to the thing uh, at, the, at Corinth and on the outside. And oftentimes in our local churches, we think, well, it's just if all these other things out here were better, if people weren't playing soccer on Sunday morning, if they weren't doing these things, they would still be, you know, in here doing the thing that we used to think they did. But I don't think it's that easy. I think the adversaries are both internal and external. And somehow we have to, you know, just keep kind of driving at that. And churches have to keep thinking, what's the next thing we could do? What's the next step we could take? All those kind of things. And I don't think it's, you know, formulaic or anything like that. I think it's, it's a very organic and it's got to feel right in the context. Well, and I appreciate that you said that, that, it, that it's organic and it's not, there's not this formula or cookie cutter that we can put out there, right? Um, for, for each church just to take and go. And if you do these things, it'll work. Um, because yeah, I mean, what, what you guys are doing in Oklahoma may or may not work here in rural Montana, right? Uh, there's some similarities, right? There's some things that um, could work that could translate from both contexts, but uh, going in and, and treating each church and each um, place and group of people with that that respect of hey here's 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 who we are right you know and just being able to to speak that and to live into that instead of like you said having somebody else come in and be like here's this you know here's what you need to do and how it goes and if you do this everything will be good um, yeah I think that's really important I, that's why I just started off with this the, so just not just because I love politics but the whole populist right. thing for us just is so prevalent that no, no one's kind of waiting for us to come in and say something to them, but they are looking for us to, to at times walk alongside them and help them right. figure out how can we do this a little bit differently or how can we think about it? How can we ask new mm -hmm. questions or, you know, turn the prism as uh, one of my friends, Stan Warfield used to say, how do we, how do we see it in a new way? All those kind of things I think is more along the lines of what really people are looking for. In fact, our Bishop who came out of programming work like I do in the Northwest Texas conference before he was elected, mm -hmm. that he, he doesn't like to use the term consultant for any of the work we do, but that really we should always arrive as a coach mm -hmm. just to ask, hopefully ask the right questions, not to turn up and, you know, do this and do this. And yet at times I'll go to a local church that says, just tell us what to do sure. and we'll do it. And they're actually more frustrated by the time, we've worked together. <laughs> right. Just, right. Well, you know, let's come and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that that's, what's interesting. Um, you know, we're getting this big push from the general general board to put a system in place. And um, it seems like having a system in place um, would create more of a struggle it, it, instead of just saying, Hey, articulate how you make disciples of Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, and, 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 you, how, and how you can, in whatever you articulate, 
how people know if I'm here mm -hmm. that I can take a next step. Yeah. yeah. And the church will only know its capacity to do that. Tahlequah is going to look different than, you know, um, Ada and it's going to look way different than Arlington or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that that's the struggle is that um, when we hear that, it's that, especially like from the top down, you know, most people realize that that's not going to work <laughs> um, and that we need to create something within our own, you know, it needs to be organic. I love the way you use that word organic, because I think that that's more um, healthier uh, for growth. And you use that term coach. And I think of, um, you know, a, a church that's coachable is going to be a church that's going to be willing to, to look at things differently, to try to get better. You know, you think of athletes and the great athletes are coachable. Um, they're not, you know, hard headed, you know, although, I mean, LeBron, we can make a case for LeBron James not being coachable, but, um, uh, it's not that kind of podcast, man, <laughs> but it is not that kind of podcast. Um, but I think that, um, you know, if churches want to, to turn a corner or get better, that they need to be coachable. And part of being coachable is being willing to listen, process that information and then figure out how they can do what they need to do better. Um, and the, the sports analogy works for me because the first step for a church in working on their system is identifying what they're already doing. Just like when those people show up to join the team, what are they going to bring to the team? So the local church has to say, what are we already doing well? How are we already making disciples? Every church already is. They're already having worship. They probably got Sunday school. They've got some UMW groups or UMM or, uh, you know, different kind of things. The first thing they have to do is I help those groups say to themselves, how are we making disciples and how are we helping the people in our group transform the world? Mm -hmm. Every group should be able to answer that on their own right. before the bigger system answers it. Right. And we use the, you know, using paragraph 122. So we, we still kind of buy into the hope model. So hospitality offered Christ purpose engagement, which kind of, you know, outlines paragraph 122 of the discipline. I say in local churches, that's not for the church. The church system has to do that, yes. But every individual part of the system has to offer hospitality and help people connect with Christ and help them grow in their faith and help them engage in the world. I mean, the church will do some of that as a church-wide thing. And worship will do that, and the mission team will do that, and those kind of things. But every group has got to be thinking about that. Oftentimes what our groups do like say a Sunday school class or UMW, UMM, they'll look at hope and say, okay, well, somebody takes care of hospitality and Matt offers a, you know, invitation to Christ at the end of worship. Now we do purpose. We help people grow in their faith and then somebody else does engagement. Now every group's got to think how they do all of those things. That's what makes the system go. Mm -hmm. And the bigger church is always thinking, okay, how does this fit in to what we do right. as this one thing, Tahlequah or, or your churches? Right, right, right. Well, and, and that's, so, you know, that's something we experience a lot as Methodist pastors of coming in and being airdropped, you know, during, with our appointment system into a church that's already functioning, um, whether it's functioning well or not, right? Um, but we have to spend that time and effort to learn and, and hear what's going on in the church in and there's already good stuff going on, right? In most cases, but every now and then you get dropped in a place and they're like, all right, now tell us what to do. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, hold on, what are you doing? Yeah, there's kind you of uh, like the old sage on the stage in college, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. even, even college professors will tell you that education that they do today is not standing up 
giving a lecture for 50 minutes and then saying, okay, you know everything you need to know about American national government or physics or whatever, but that it's engagement with the people who are there learning. Right. Um, so yes, there's some kind of, here's direction. I mean, we have that, right? You get at least 15 to 20 minutes uh, every Sunday, hopefully, maybe on the first Sunday, you got to cut it short because you got communion, but you got 15 to 20 minutes a week. You got 60 or 80 minutes to cast vision and all those yeah. kinds of things uh, to work on discipleship, to work on helping people grow in their faith, especially if you've got, you know, four or five really planned out sermon series a year so that you know the direction that you're, that you're going in that. You, you've already got that. There's hardly any organization that gets that kind of un- interrupted time with people anymore even if those people only come a couple Sundays a month that's still 40 minutes of that right um, so I, I think we miss those opportunities of course to also encourage what's already happening but also to say well what if we were doing this and we just took this kind of step or this kind of turn and so this in the next six months we're asking all of our committees to um, ask the question how do you reach out to the local school, not just the mission team, but how do the trustees do it? How do the, how does SPRC do it? How does UMW do it? And they, they may all come back with different ways. I mean, the trustees may say, well, we make sure that the van always works so that we can get food to the school for the backpack program. Well, great. So we're not going to let the van break down under your watch because you know that it's important for us to be able to do that. Whatever it is that every group begins to see, this is also the way that we contribute to this larger system, as opposed to, we just create silos even in the, even in the smallest organizations. I was just telling you on at 10.30 this morning, a meeting of the St. Paul Board of Trustees, which I'm on, we're a pretty small seminary, and yet we have lots of structure that it takes time to get through. And our bishop, who's from Northwest Texas, has this great phrase, which I love. He says, you know, organizations can get plateaued on a molehill. Um, and, how true is that, right? It's just, it's just a little thing, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves on a plateau. It's not a huge mountain that we're plateaued on. Most of the time, it's these small things right in front of us that actually we could just, we can move right on, but we'll allow ourselves to kind of get stuck in one of those places. I call those stumbling blocks, um, and, and we think about, like, well, that's the conversation we have here, is that sometimes we're, when we do something, whether it be a new thing or we're, um, tweaking a, a old thing that we're doing to, to be able to live into that, that idea of hope, but also that um, doing things a little bit better because we've recognized, you know, with our decline, we've recognized that we need to do things. There are things that we need to do better. And so um, opening ourselves up to that possibility of, you know, what can we do differently, but then what's that one thing, like what's the one thing that may be, you know, tripping us up. And sometimes when we've looked at it, we've discovered that the one thing was fixable. Um, there are some things that are that are part of our our brokenness that are it's going to take time to, to heal and fix, um, and we recognize that. But we also know there are some things that we can you know, uh, and it may be as something as simple as um, we, we joke about it when we switched internet providers here. Um, you know, people were a little bit happier that they could actually surf the Wi-Fi. Um, I mean, just those little things make a, a world of difference and can, as you said, uh, cause a world of other problems. Yeah, I think all of us, if we'll use, if we'll just use our regular life as the example. So I'm a dad, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor. I, for the first time, work with a whole bunch of other people. I'm not the guy in charge anymore. In all of those parts of my life, I'm always figuring out what's the next step to do that better, you know. And 
oftentimes it's just hearing, you know, it's just, it's listening. It, it's, it's not even always reading though. I do read a lot of books and go to a lot of seminars and discuss things with a lot of people, but oftentimes it's just listening. I was listening the other day to my three-year-old say something to her babies that I'd said to her that she was then passing on to them in a way that I disciplined her that I, I was disappointed in myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I can take a step just by listening and being more attentive to that. And sometimes it's like when we come to these other places, we, we leave that kind of part of our life behind and think, Oh, we're, we're just fine. The church is just fine. We don't really need to change this at all. We don't need to listen to anybody else. We don't need to read that book. We don't need to do anything because we've kind of got this figured out. And yet in all the other parts of our life, we're always making adjustments. We're always trying to do better. We're always trying to be better. We're trying to, you know, to listen to the next thing, to see what other people are doing. And yet we won't apply that um, in the life of the church. Like we're, we're just fine. We've always put the, we've, we've always had the Advent workshops. This is one of my favorites of local churches. We've always had the Advent workshop. And if you say to them, well, what's, what's coming out of the Advent workshop for you in 2018? And they'll say, they'll say something. And then I say, well, what was coming out of the Advent workshop in 1970 when you started doing it? And oftentimes they can tell you a powerful story. In one church I was in, they said, you know, we were a new church building our first sanctuary and we didn't have any chrismons. And so those Advent workshops were started so that the children could make the chrismons and we were telling the story, et cetera, et cetera. Well, after about eight or nine years, they had all the chrismons they would ever need. And so then they, they started making really wonderful Christmas crafts. And by the time I was working with the church, they were making like stick on Hobby Lobby foam cross kind of stuff. And I said, well, how many people in your church might like to have a couple chrismons on their tree at home? Well, everybody, and especially the grandparents whose kids come over, wanted to be able to. So I said, what if you took your Advent workshop and went back to its original purpose? Not to make chrismons for the church, but for so, so that the people could have them for their Christmas trees at home. And you could give them the way to tell the story. You could give them a little you know, brochure or whatever it is. Then all of a sudden, the Advent workshop started having this huge influx of their grandchildren and their children. And then guess what? People started inviting other people to come be a part of it. So they recaptured the essence of what they were doing by simply asking the question, what is, what's the purpose of this? But the real question I ask them is, why don't you stop doing the Advent workshop? That was hard, right? Mm -hmm. If you think, well, let's stop doing that because it has a tradition to it. Well, that's, that's hard. That's hard to do. But if you can help them say, well, what were you doing in the first place? And how can you get back to that? Um, so, you know, like I was thinking of, oh, as you were talking, I was thinking of, um, and I, I was trying to, I had his book on my desk and it's disappeared. And I can't remember who, what his name was, but it was a man that spoke at a leadership institute this year. And he talked about the difference when Alabama switched to the spread offense and then Les Miles stayed with his uh, offense uh, and how, like he used that for the church. It ended up being a really good conversation, but it got me thinking about how often are we still trying to run the wishbone offense when we really should be in the spread. I mean, I, I you know, it's good old Oklahoma thing. Uh, conversation. Yeah, I, that's actually where I see, you know, engagement with the mission field 
um, is so vital. Like you've got to be out in conversation with people who also aren't in the thing that you're trying to do. Not just to be out in conversation and say, what can we do to get you to come to our church? I mean, I think that day is gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But to be in conversation with what is what is the hurt of this community? What's the what's the heartbeat of this community? What's what's going on here um, that looks different than it does somewhere else? That's what happens uh, using that sports analogy is somebody at the balcony, the coach, is looking over what everybody else is doing and saying, we got to figure out a different way to win this game. Now, we use the same metaphor. We use the metaphor that the church is the most significant arena for making disciples. And I was recently at a local church where the uh, sports arena for the college, I was down at Weatherford, so the sports arena for Southwestern is right across the street from the church. And I started thinking, what, it, what happens in an arena? And what happens in disciple making? I wrote this whole thing uh, that afternoon about all the different things that happen in an arena, on all, all the different people that it takes to make it happen. And oftentimes we'll say that that's a passive kind of thing, that this arena metaphor, the sports metaphor is passive because we just look at ourselves as spectators in the stands watching the game happen. Mm -hmm. But the thing about discipleship, that's the game. There are probably going to be a few disciples who are sitting in the stands watching other people do it. But what's happening there, that's, that's the thing we're about. And if you can get on the balcony and look at that, then you can see, well, we're making disciples and there are probably some other churches in our communities making disciples. And there's some other organizations actually making disciples for whatever it is they're doing. They just may not be disciples of Jesus. And so how do we, how do we look at that and say, well, what, what's going on in our community and how might we have to change the, the, the method, if you will, the play calling, the, 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 the game plan so that, so that we make a difference there. And that's why you say, well, I think it boils down to knowing something about the people that are in leadership in your community. So we did, for example, last year, a push for our churches to get to know their first responders. Um, and some of that actually just comes in light of church shootings. I think if you're going to, you know, <laughs> protect your church, you got to know the local law enforcement. They have to know you. And then what is this happening at your local school? And then if you have some other large thing, so Matt has uh, tribal headquarters, uh, in his community, but so do many of our communities around the state, both big and large communities have that. Um, what's the big employer? In Oklahoma right now, we have all these hospitals that have been bought out by um, these big holding corporations, and then they just quit paying people or quit buying supplies, and yet the hospitals can't rest their hospitals back without federal court intervention, and, that, and at the same time, people are going to the hospital and are sick, and churches are reaching out to those places and giving them things like paper towels and band-aids and, and food so that they can take care of these people who are sick and actually help them pay the employees, right? Because that's so important. Healthcare in a small community in Oklahoma is very, very important. And keeping a local hospital there is a big thing. So a church that's out of tune with that and is preaching on Sunday morning about the Good Samaritan and go help the person who's in the ditch when they need help, bind up their wounds and then doesn't see that their local hospital is basically about to close and they're not making a difference in that. I mean, they can be running the wishbone or whatever and the other people are going to have already figured out that's the place they've got to be doing some interaction. So I don't think it's about church growth. I think it's about living out our mission, which is pretty simple. We make disciples who, 
go out and transform the world. The only world we have is the one that's right around us. I mean, right. Well, and I think, you know, you said it, that's what spurred this was, you know, the, the church being that, but people aren't walking through our doors. And, and we've got to lose that, that idea, that mentality that people will walk through our doors, right? Because they're not, <laughs> you know, and there's not a lot we can do to, to change that. I mean, some people are, um, but in, in response, the way that we've been reshaping church is to simply asking, what is it? And, and you know, we, we get the good general Sunday school response of, oh, it's the people. You're right. But where? You know, the people are, are half of it. But where is church? And, and getting people in our, our little rural communities to go, well, it's, it's certainly the building that we meet in on Sundays, but it's also the tractor. It's also hiking out in the mountains. It's also in this bar. It's in the library. You know, it's all of these places that we are. And so how do we begin to spread what we do on Sundays, whether we walk in the church doors or not, into all of these other avenues and all these other spaces in, in our world um, that then bring along, uh, you know, the mission, the hope, all of these things, right? Yeah, and I think the, that, that's where the kingdom, mm -hmm. that's where the kingdom then flourishes, right? Because right, right. So the most powerful story I think that I have from my time in the local church happened when I was in Prague. Uh, my last appointment and they have a uh, huge Czech influence and they have a thing called the Kalachi festival every year and they have a huge carnival. And while they were having the carnival, the carnival owner died oh, wow. during the thing. I mean, as they were setting up, he was died in his sleep from a heart attack mm -hmm. and you know, carnival work is, is by contract and they had a contract to do our carnival. And the next week they had a contract to do the carnival in another town. So the, the funeral home owner said, you know, the family wants to have a funeral as soon as the carnival's over before they move to the next town because this is all the chance they're going to have. And so they invited me to, to do the funeral for the carnival owner. And so I immersed myself for these three days and both getting to know his employees. And I did that just by going to the carnival with my daughter. We only had one at the time. And just standing in line while she was going to the rides and engaging the workers about the carnival owner. Mm -hmm. And of course, I engaged his family and we got the, the service was beautiful and the whole town, you know, came together and every church did a piece of the funeral dinner so that they could feed all the employees. And so, you know, we were in charge of the sandwiches and another group was in charge of this. So that part was, that part was kingdom-like. Mm -hmm. And the whole response was, and the way that people reached out to them, but what I found interesting was in talking to the employees, they talked one about how they're seen by the communities in which they arrive in. Mm -hmm. And they're not particularly accepted or welcomed. Right. Even though they go back to this carnival company, we just had a, a route. They went to the same places over and over and people knew them, you know? So they would talk about that. But more than that, they, one of them said to me, you know, if, if just local pastors would come when we arrive and just pray for our safety and offer us, this was a Catholic speaking, the, the sacrament. Mm -hmm. They're just, we don't ever get to go to church. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who are really deeply spiritual, who we've fallen on hard times. We were in jail. This guy took a chance on us. He's like our dad. Yeah. He takes care of us. But we also have these spiritual needs that are never met. And, and so I wrote um, a, a little piece for the Christian Century. They didn't accept it for publication. 
but it was basically about how do we, how do we minister even to itinerant people who come into our lives, even for a brief time, that we just assume aren't looking for something that they're actually looking for, and that the church has the chance to, to be the church in that moment uh, to these folks in a, in a very simple and yet very profound way. Um, doing what we do, they're not going to come through the door. But what I found in listening to their stories about this guy who owned the carnival, and I later said in the sermon, when we talk about see all the people, like that guy, he sees all the people. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he sees young people in a community. He would go into towns that had like in the old days an orphanage, and he would say to them, we'll be open tomorrow morning. You just bring, bring all the people that live in your orphanage for, in the morning for the whole day. He, 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 they were telling me a story about a lady who came to the carnival every year to ride the Ferris wheel. She was a little um, slow. She had a caretaker. She would come ride the carnival. And then when this guy found out that she died, he would go to her grave every year when he arrived in that town and put flowers out. I mean, mm -hmm. and the employees talked about how nobody, nobody taking a chance on them, you know, but this guy had. And so I think sometimes we just, we just get the narrative so reversed that, you know, the good people come through the doors of the church and they are the ones that come in and they go out and live out their faith. But the, that's the practice field, to use that sports analogy that Matt mentioned earlier. Like, it's sure, that's where we practice. We practice in the church. We practice on each other. We practice dis disagreement and all those kind of things. So that when we're out there in the mission field, people look and say, there's got to be something different about that person. What is it? Mm -hmm. Because he follows Christ, because she follows Jesus, there's something different about that person. And we have to be able to see it across the board and to recognize it for what it is and for the church then to say, well, what can we do? Not always just here inside the thing, but also out there where, where the people are. And so yeah. I, I just, I never, I, I can't let that image go of, of that particular uh, moment in time. And especially the service itself where there's flowers lining the wall of the of the uh, chapel from all these communities that this guy had served from all these people from across the U S who wrote to me to say, I can't make it for the funeral, but you know, I was released from prison. That guy gave me my first job and then I was able to meet somebody. And now I'm established here in this town doing this, whatever. I mean, that's seeing all the people that's, you know, engagement, but mm -hmm. Andrew Burlingame did not go to church on a, on any given Sunday morning because he was packing up his carnival to move to the next town so that his people could do what they did. But my suspicion is if a local church, when they arrived in that town and said, you know, we're going to come down for a 20 or 30 minute short service with your staff, he would have been there. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure. I've got a buddy, uh, man, he's a, he's a, he's a local pastor a couple hours down the road, uh, from me. And he's, he's, he's old. He wouldn't mind me telling that he's old, uh, but that's what he did. He, he, in his background, he started working in a carnival, uh, ended up being able to work himself up in a place where he bought his own and traveled around with them. And, and you talk about seeing the people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of Dave, <laughs> that's Dave. I mean, he just sees people. And he's a very quiet, unassuming man. Uh, but my God, he loves people and he sees, you know, from the church doors beyond. And uh, I mean, he just, he'll, and he'll call you on it. Hey, what about those guys? You know, what about over here? You know, and it's like, oh, you're right. You're, you're right. 
and just so well, in tune with the ability that. to also be kind of uh, corrected in in our seeing the people the ability to um, to to have others speak into our life to say um, are you seeing are you seeing that or do you, do you see what I see all those kind of things that's that's huge and it's a part of who we are I mean as Wesleyans we believe in Christian conferencing we believe in accountability we believe in doing that through through a small group and you can do that well um, if if have that kind of trust built in your life um, where where you can receive that not to receive it as criticism or correction but to say you know what I I didn't I, I just I just missed that and I'm glad that you are are in my life to help me you know see it in a yeah. different way or that's, the, that's the part of being in community right uh, it and because it's a we get focused over here and we've got to have somebody else, a pe- you know, a community around us going, well, there's this too. And then there's this, you know, um, because when we get that linear focused, yeah, we miss everything on the, on the outside uh, because we're focused here. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I, I only interact with about 10 or 12 people a day mm-hmm. on any given day. If I really think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. I was recently in a local church within the five mile radius of the, the, the largest concentration of the richest people in Oklahoma city. Now this church doesn't reach them in their mission field because this church is doing other things. Mm-hmm. But when I was pushing them on their mission insight data and they were looking at it, they're like, this is inaccurate. We don't have rich people in our neighborhood. I'm like in your five mile radius, you're closest to the largest concentration of the richest houses in Oklahoma city, a place we call Gallardia. And she just kept pushing me that that wasn't accurate. So I finally decided to do another thing that I do sometimes in presentations is to say, all right, everybody just write on a piece of paper. What's your normal traffic pattern from this location where we sit now to where you spend most of your time? Well, for her, everything she did because she was in her seventies, didn't drive at night. You can, you can list all the things. Everything she did from that church was from the church South. Well, from that church South, it's very poor. Uh-huh. And that church north, very rich. She never goes north. Now, I think she recognizes that that particular area is a rich part of Oklahoma City, but she just doesn't think about it being in their mission field. Right, right. So she's like, that, that can't be accurate. That, that just can't be. Because her life doesn't have her doing that. Mm-hmm. I live in Edmonds, a pretty wealthy part of Oklahoma City, a suburb. But guess what? I don't really go north of where I live. And I live on the very south edge of Edmond and my daughter goes to a school in the very south edge of Edmond. So I have to go way north before I even see most of that. And I don't spend most of my time doing that because I work and live and do most of my stuff in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I never get south of where I'm at in Oklahoma City at my office unless I need to intentionally go that way. So then I don't see that. I mean, we just have to be cognizant of our own daily patterns. And to be aware that there's nothing wrong with them. They're just what they are. They're just a part of our reality. And if we want to see something different, then we have to do, we have to do some changing of that in our mm-hmm. own lives. We won't just come to us because we, it just yeah. won't. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that that's the deal is having people like, I always joke, you know, what was your Walmart conversation today? Um, you know, when you were at the store at Walmart and you're talking to that worker, you know, what, how did you, yes. um, uh, how did, how did you respond? How did you treat them? Did you treat them with the love of Christ or were you got awful to them? Because understand that that's the witness that you're sharing to those people. Um, and we've had, we've had fun about that. Cause I've talked about some of the struggles I've had, like, Hey, I came in with a bad day and 
and she was real chipper and I just, you know, like, and, and, but I also have that reality of like, you know, Hey, I'm here to share Christ with people in everything that I do. And that's not just my job. That's part of the baptismal covenant that I've entered into, you know, when I was 17. And so, you know, like living it, um, having people realize that I think that that's important, that that's part of who they are. It's not just designed for the pastors, the, you know, those people that are in leadership that telling people that you all have what it takes to make disciples. It's not just for the chosen few, it's for everyone. And I think far too often that gets lost in translation, um, that we have yeah. staff people and, you know, we, we, you know, those are the people that make disciples, those people up on the stage or those people that are like the Sunday school teacher. It's just their responsibility. And I'm like, no, it's everybody's. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm actually fine with people knowing I'm a pastor because oftentimes they think, nah, I mean, pastors got some problems. I'm much more nervous that people know I'm a Christian and I'm not living that out. Mm-hmm. People have all kinds of images of pastors, good and bad. But I want my, my, I want what people see of me as a follower of Jesus to come through. I was recently asked, becoming a part of an organization, to describe my spiritual practices. And I said, you know, I could describe my spiritual practices, but I'd be much more interested in how my neighbor would describe my spiritual practices than how I do. Because I know what I'm trying to do. I know what I'm attempting to do. um, and And I can describe even how I fail at doing those things just way more interested in how my administrative assistant would feel about it or how my neighbor does or how the person down the street feels about it. I mean, the person that I drive next to on the highway every day, I mean, all those kind of things. I'm, I'm way more interested in letting down and not living out my baptismal vows. I'm way more worried about not resisting evil injustice and oppression in whatever ways they present themselves than I am about taking off the things I'm supposed to do as a pastor. Cause actually those things are pretty easy. I find. I can preach. I can administer the, the sacraments. I can order the life of the church. In fact, I'm pretty good at that piece. Uh, and and I, I hope, even though in this role, I do find trouble living out my vow to serve the church and the world. It's more difficult. But I'm way more cognizant that I miss out on the baptismal vows more often than I do the vows I took to the church. Um, well, and that's what's been fun about our, bas- our Monday night basketball program. Um, I started with just the intention of reaching our community um, and, and getting people in that wouldn't normally grace the doors of our church and, you know, for whatever reason. And we started out with about four or five people and we were able to do some things, you know, it's kind of hard to play basketball with four people, but you know, you manage. Um, but then, four people. yeah. Um, but now, you know, like on Monday night, we had 26 people show up. Um, and then what's been really fun is that some of those people are bringing new people. And then when they say, you know, when they find out that, that, you know, the bald old guy that's there, uh, that's the pastor. They're like, Oh wow, that's really cool. And so we, you know, um, that doesn't, it's not right now translating into people showing up for Sunday morning or Sunday night, but it's slowly, you know, we're building a bridge to a place that we'd never had before and, and into a community that we um, had never been in before. And I think, um, asking that question of, you know, what do you see? Um, what possibilities could be in what you're doing? And, and now just um, that great word of just go and do. I think we, we miss that too much of that, just equipping them and saying, hey, just try it. Like, let's see what happens. You know, and there are nights that, there, there are Monday nights when the weather gets great, we have like 
we have go back to our four people and we're just like, Hey, this is kind of fun again, you know, and, um, and understand that it ebbs and flows and, and having that understanding. Take the next step is huge. And also think a piece that we just don't do enough of is that is to capture the story of whatever it is and then tell it in a way that, that makes an experience for someone that they can figure out that could also be my life. So Matt, I'm thinking that you're here at this basketball thing, 26 guys, they don't all come to church, but one of them might, you know, pick up their daughter from school one day and the school nurse says, you know, she's not feeling too well. And they go to the doctor and the next thing they know, you know, they got a daughter that's got cancer. They don't have a church. They don't have anybody to reach out to. It's supposed somebody to pray for them and all those kinds of things. And now you've made a connection. You're living out, you're seeing all the people and not to tell that story to wrench the heart of people about the situation, but to say to them, this is how, what you can do in all the places you're at. We have a retired person on our discipleship ministry team, which is the, you know, the conference group that thinks about discipleship. She recently retired after a long career as a kind of an office administrator. We wanted to make some extra money, so she works two days a week at the dress barn. And she was talking about how she started doing that work to make money. She just wanted to make a little bit of extra money, basically spending money. So she didn't have to worry about what was coming in retirement. She could just go out and travel and do what she wanted to do. And she just thought, this is just going to be a place. And I'm going to kind of just going to be drudgery. I'm going to go in. I sell his dresses. And she told me three stories over a span of two days in which people came in and, and one of them, the story that I remember the most is a lady who came in and said, uh, she's, what kind of dress are you looking for? What are you looking for? Let me help you find a dress. And she's like, you know, pan face, stone face says, I don't know. Do you have any dresses for women whose husbands are divorcing them and they have to go to divorce court? Mm. And then she just started sharing, right? Because this person said, well, I'm sorry to hear that. You're looking for a dress, but is there anything else that you're looking for? And so this lady just starts crying and pouring out her story. And she said, I don't have any, I don't really have any friends. I don't have anybody to tell this about. And this lady was able to pray with her and, to, and tell her with all sincerity, I'm happy to check in with you if you want that. And the lady said, you know, it's enough that you've said that you would. I do have a friend that I'm going to go reconnect with now who I know will care about me just like you did when I didn't even know you. Now, that's just being present in the moment, hearing what's going on, and saying, hey, I, I could do something right here, right now that's not about selling this dress, which, by the way, she did sell the dress. <laughs> but she, she was listening close enough to say it was more than just, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, maybe I should show you what's on sale. I mean, she listened and, and was there and then lived out her faith in, in the moment not inviting her to come to her church. I'm sure if the lady said right. I'm for a church, she would have invited her, but yeah, that's not what she needed. Right. It's just being present. I mean, just fully being present with people um, is huge. It makes all the difference in the world. Well, Derek, uh, I know you've got uh, places to be, um, but we thank you for your presence um, yeah. and uh, coming on with us. And, and you wrote a blog. Oh, it's been over a year since you wrote it. Yeah, um, yeah. let's have to do that again. Um, and so, yeah, you're always welcome to come back and talk or, um, you know, just willing to shoot here's, the breeze. Here's the thing I'm thinking. I'm, the blog might be about, I just, I just got a book uh, that I uh, got with my Christmas gift card this year. 
called craft and it uses the old English, uh, not just the A, it's sort of like the AE that kind of runs together. I think it's more like craft, um, but it's all these images about how you, um, you do things uh, manually. So the, the opening story is a guy whose weed eater won't start. So he finds the, the, you know, the thing that you swing as a yeah. or, or whatever it's called. Um, and he does that. And so um, that's, uh, that's what I'm thinking. Like, how do we talk about discipleship as a systems? Yes. But if craft is an image that works for people, great. If the organic thing, if it's garden, if it's the paint palette and you're painting a picture, I think that imagery is important, but it's so broad that every local church and every person ought to be able to hang on to what it is. So if craft helps, uh, then using the old Stanley Harawas image of you can't really become a bricklayer unless you hang around a really good bricklayer that teaches you the craft of bricklaying. You know, it's pretty difficult, I think, to be a really um, great follower of Jesus unless you got a few people that you can hang around with that really exemplify that for you and the opposite of that is you can hang around some people that really don't do that so craft is kind of what i'm thinking so maybe i'll maybe i'll write something up on craft write that let's publish the carnival one come on man <laughs> i'll give it to you let's yeah do it. It's, already, it's already written so you that's guys, a story that needs to be out there man all, all right i'll give that one to you that yeah. one actually comes with practical steps for local churches to think about that's why i love that so yeah much. So Great. you can have that one for sure well, we thank you for your time, and we want to encourage our listeners to go on our website at beardedtheologians.com and check out our um, all the content we've got on. We've got a lot of stuff up on the content. And uh, Derek's right. He didn't know when this was going to air. It's going to air the Thursday after um, Armageddon. And so um, – What a better time. <laughs> living yeah. out our faith no matter what happens. Yes. Um, and so, um, you know um, – that's when it is and so just check out our, our website we'll have um content uh that will be generated about um special general conference i know zach it's funny i, I use the word armageddon in, the, in that thing well yeah. we're not a basketball podcast we're not a football <laughs> podcast and we're not a bruce willis podcast just... <laughs> today it's just three guys with beards that's yeah. right. guys. the three-year-olds getting pretty gray that's yeah. <laughs> yes um so go to our website beardedtheologians.com uh check it out uh buy some of our gear and all that stuff so if you're bearded theologians i'm matt franks i'm zach Bechtold. thanks for checking us out we hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the bearded theologians beardcast and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our facebook page we also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day. This is going to okay. be this is going to be fun for me editing. <laughs> <laughs>